Don't let a DUI charge ruin your life. Get a professional and confidential evaluation from our experienced team at True Heights Treatment. Our evaluations are accepted by the majority of courts in the state of Illinois and provide a comprehensive assessment of your substance use patterns and potential treatment needs. Get the help you need today and start your path to a brighter future. Contact us now to schedule your evaluation at 708-248-7039 or at thtdui.com. The George Brassy Podcast is made possible with funding provided from Brassy Global Strategies, LLC, a leading political consulting, public policy, government affairs, and research firm. Are you interested in running for elected office? Need advice? Call or email George, 708-769-5015. Brassy Global Strategies 1 at gmail.com. Hey everyone, it's George. I'm so glad to welcome my longtime friend, Tommy Zarlingo, to the podcast. Tommy, thanks for coming on. Happy to be here. Tommy, before we get into your interesting background and your interesting um, ways of looking at the world, can you tell the audience a little bit about the history of the Zarlingo family in the city of Chicago Heights? Quite a long run. Um, I guess my grandparents been here i don't know since forever they grew up on the hill grandpa's had the asphalt paving company now for well over 70 plus years and you know i think a lot of folks know that and then the ice cream came in later when my dad was uh probably in his late teens they were talking about doing something uh i think he originally wanted to open up a pizzeria and it wasn't until he took a trip to california to go work with uh one of the old school Italians at their uh, grocery store, um, he fell, I guess, more in love with the pizza. So he came back, wanted to do that. Grandpa's our lingo, I guess, was really excited about getting off of work and going to give somebody some money for a cone in exchange. And it was a happy memory. So I think, from my understanding, it went from pizza to ice cream with the help of my grandpa's maybe healthy nudge. And that was when my dad was 21 years old. We opened up in 83, <clears throat> and uh, I was born that same year. Kind of just grew up in the ever-changing world of uh, what we have now at Zarlingo's uh, Italian Ice and Gelato in the Heights. Tommy, what was uh, the early stages of the business like? I mean, what was it like growing up in, in the business? I think it was more of the fact that I you just kind of uh, assumed this was life. I don't think I knew anything else because I was essentially born into it. Um, but I remember earlier things. You know, we used to have food a long time ago. So there's bits and pieces of my memories around these hand-cut French fries and, and the, the cheese sauce that were going on and the, the griddles doing their work. And just these happy, fun memories of me being a chubby little boy with uh, <laughs> baskets of cheese fries. Uh, I was going through the attic a few years back and... I pulled out a tortilla press. I said, what the heck are you doing with a tortilla press? And my dad's like, well, we, we used to make our own tortillas. And that idea of like doing everything for himself and doing it the best way possible was kind of what I grew up in, which I think has kind of helped me to be the man I am today. Um, you know, I remember even initially we had a second location in Frankfurt 
and it's just bits and pieces. And, uh, you know, t- too bad we didn't have that location because it's a popping spot. But we put all our eggs in one basket with this location. And, you know, I remember delivering a, uh, some ice cream to an event. It turned out to be like Lollapalooza in 1995. And I'm slinging ice cream with my family as a kid listening to Cypress Hill. It was just fun. These little bits of memories of our store that kind of just became my childhood and youth. Tommy, as so the business at one point was more than more than ice cream, more than gelato, more than Italian ice. Yeah. And so at some point, your dad or whoever was running the show decided to simplify the business and just kind of stick to what worked. Where you guys were almost have to do that when you spread so thin and you you want to focus on doing a great job everywhere. You get you get you get spread and you got to focus. And, you know, there's a lot of places to eat there's a lot of pizza places a lot of burger joints there's a lot of places like that and a lot of them are really good so we decided to focus on the ice cream which was really my dad's passion he loved making italian ice and it wasn't until later on that we really started getting into the gelatos and the wholesale game which is kind of where we're putting a lot of um effort in right now which has been really fun what goes into running a place like your dad's business or uh, I think my dad grew up with his dad, uh, watching him work his ass off for nine kids in the, in the hundred degree weather paving asphalts. And at the end of the day, you know, my grandpa did it all for his family, but it was this, this almost, a, a blood, sweat and tears approach to business where you, you just work and work and work. And if you're not exhausted by the end of the day, I don't think you do did a good job that I think that's good in a way, but also it required a lot on my dad's end with a new baby, his uh, new wife and a new business. He, this business kind of became his baby in a way. And there was just a lot, a lot of time spent in it. You know, in the beginning stages of our shop, he was also working with my dad's or my grandpa's asphalt paving company. So he would get up, go set up the shop, go work asphalt, clean up, come back to the shop. And, you know, it started at 5 a.m. and it ended up at, at 11 a.m. every day. So, but he had that. He had that drive. And um, I think that's why we are where we're at today, because uh, it's just a, kind of a work ethic that's still with us, but not quite there. And I guess I got a little bit, bit of everything is a little bit of work hard, work smart. I, I love what we're doing working for a family business is also difficult. You know, your dad's your boss, your brothers and sisters are like your, 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 your coworkers. There's a lot of emotions that fly in. So, you know, you, you, as a young boy and living at home, you know, you're a kid, you're your, your dad and mom's son, but then you go to work and you're, you know, you're still there. Some, but you got different roles, different responsibilities. And, you know, I think navigating that space in a family business with the kind of like turning off, one role and turning on another one was was difficult but finally it got to be it's where it's at now everyone's got their own role everyone's doing their own thing and uh we're a big team because everybody's needed it's not like a one person is this we, we we need each other and i think that's important now to realize i think my dad's getting a little i mean he's he works harder than all of us but he's getting up there but he's still going to beat us every day and work hard not beat us, but he's going to do better than us. Um, the family business was, was really beautiful. And looking back at all the times I got to spend with my family and these adventures and 
stories. I think it was a really, really big gift. I got to work with my cousins and my aunts and uncles and all these relatives and some of the people that we employed over the years. I, I can't believe it. It's, it's been fascinating. What does the future hold for the shop? We've seen the expansion for the last couple of years. We, we know you're open uh, year round, but a, a lot of people are curious in the community. What does the future look like? The future, we're going to put ice cream on the moon. Oh. The future is, is so, well, I mean, I think we have a nice vision. You know, we're, we're, we're finally getting that new build out, just completed. We have a couple new machines coming in, which is really going to up our production game. Um, we have um, a great customer base, relations that we've had for decades and always new. I think that's the role that I have with the sales. I love talking to people, love seeing new places, and I'm good at my job. And it's an easy sell. The product's tasty. And it's fun and there's a good story and it's high quality. So that's the easy part. Um, I like the sales part of it. So I'm going to be moving forward, trying to expand that. Um, right now, our capacity for new clients is, is right up there at like peak. Um, we're still doing it. It's fun. It's exciting. We're making customers happy. But this next wave of these machines really going to up our production and really get us to where uh, I think we'd like to be, which is, being able to outfit more nationwide, um, larger, uh, larger supply to other larger, I guess, outlets. Um, we're always having new talks with people. I don't want to get into too much detail because I don't want to say anything and then it doesn't pan out. But we're doing some pretty cool things. You know, we've got product uh, going all across the country with Andy's Frozen Custard. We make all their Italian ices for them. And we, we started with them, I think, around six stores. And then now I can't even tell you how many we're at. We, we, we cope, uh, co-pack for other companies that are going all of some in other countries. Um, there's a lot of cool things that we do that we just kind of think it's awesome and normal. We don't really like, you know, we're not talking about it because it's hard work. Our customers at the shop, they're number one. And I know it's been a difficult couple of years with COVID and then the new drive through and then the building and not having that patio open up. We're doing the best we can. It's hard work and it's every single day and we do it because i always used to say we put uh we're in the business of putting smiles on faces i mean you come to the ice cream shop to be happy you also come when you're sad to get a smile or to celebrate something or after a funeral to make you happy or a, or a, a big day it's really cool to we're really in a cool spot because it's it's nostalgia and it's also new you know people can have a a flavor of gelato that they never had, but another flavor might take them back to their childhood. Um, so for me, it, it's really exciting to be able to be in the business of making memories and, and then uh, bringing up old ones. So the future, I hope, I hope we continue doing what we're doing and that's, you know, making great products and making people happy and hopefully uh, being able to supply uh, a, a few more, a few more happy faces. Tommy, when you think about the past and how long me and you have known each other um, and how long, how far we both came, can we talk a little bit about the, the old Chicago Heights punk rock days? We sure can. I mean, I'm talking to you now. I have gray chest hair and it's wild. And when we were young, we had no idea what the fuck we were doing. We were having fun living life. It was free. It was exciting. It was rebellious. And man, some of the best days... I, of my youth were when, you know, playing in punk rock bands and acting like a shithead and thinking you own everything when you're 20, between like what, 12 and, and 21 was just a wild time. 
Tommy, how do you how do you get into punk rock? Like, where where does your journey come in? Like, where my, does that for you? My journey came in from my cousin Rachel. She was uh, four years older than me. Uh, me and Timmy, her younger brother, me, Timmy, Trisha, all T's, all our lingos, all right next to each other at the lockers in high school. We, um, I grew up with Timmy. We had a good crew, and his sister was kind of like our little role model. You know, she would uh, take us to punk rock shows. She would. When we were in high school, we were freshmen in high school. She was a freshman in college. So we spent most of our weekends in, in high school at Loyola going to shows at the Metro and seeing local bands in, in Homewood with Off the Alley. And then there was Record Swap. And there was a giant little giant punk rock scene. It was probably a s- small punk rock scene, but it felt giant to us. And, you know, I remember I, I think about all the dumb shit I used to wear or, or how you wanted to just kind of do whatever and i don't know there was something so beautiful about punk rock and being in a pit and probably underage drinking and just being an adult now if i told my daughter told me she wanted to go to the city and hop on the l and or hop on the metro and hop on the l to go to loyola to go to a punk rock show i don't know how how excited i would be my my parents really gave us a lot of space as long as i knew where they were blah 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 or as long as they knew where i was It'd be fine. But those worlds of going to the shows and, you know, falling in love with the band and, 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 and then listening to them for decades. I remember seeing Alkaline Trio in 1998 at some freaking cafe or a bookstore or some shit like that in like in Lansing. And then to follow their journey. And that was just one thing. But the East Coast, the West Coast punk rock, it was just fun. You know, it was kind of scary and kind of whatever. And you always wanted to just party which i'm i'm kind of glad that cooled off a little bit i don't know if my liver could take it right now but it was such a beautiful time and i look back on it with such fond memories and i still listen to my music on a day-to-day but i got some new tunes i listen to and i think uh one thing that i've always found interesting is you know punk and being in punk bands i feel like it really prepared me uh to later on have my own practice and my own business and my own kind of things that i was in charge of I think that DIY ethic that you were kind of talking about your dad had, I think, you know, you and your brother and your cousin and everybody had that as well when it came to being in a band growing up. I think so, for sure. I mean, being in a band, whether or not it lasts a long time or whether or not you're good is kind of like a business. You know, you're setting up shows, you're learning new things, you're you're having to remember music and, and, and meet new people and act like you know what you're doing on stage when a lot of times you're probably a little nervous and a little scared, but you got to keep pushing and, and do better. And, you know, you could look back at those days where like, oh, I fucked up that. I got to do better. And I think in, in life we have these memories and whether or not they're wild or whatever, I, I, I learn from every single thing I do, whether it's a, where it's a success or a mistake, there's always something to be learned. And going back to those times, you're definitely right. I think it does prepare you for the unexpected or for some really crazy times that you got to learn how to navigate or, you know, back in those days too, you know, who wasn't a little emo kid at one point, you know, you listen to these songs, you think of that girl you like, who doesn't like you back here, but that shit happens all the time. And having as many, I guess it's the word I want to use. Just things happen to you at a young age does prepare you. You have many more stories to tell many more experiences to learn from and punk rock was so full. I mean, you're going to giant shows with bigger people than you and, and learning how to navigate those spaces. And it was fun. The music was loud and freeing and, you know, I don't know. It was fun. I'm thinking of all the times I 
wore stupid shit around my neck or painted my nails or had crazy colors in my hair. And it was just probably because you're finding yourself. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I think kids are still going through that now, finding themselves, picking up their friend group, their crowd they listen they with, the music they listen to it. It really never ends. It's really a good, it's, you know, growing up in, in that period, it's, it's really a good thing that social media wasn't really as uh, prominent as it is today. Dude, I look back, you know, those memories that show up and some of the shit from like 90 or 2008, 2009, I, it's cringing. All the dumb shit we used to post, so embarrassing and it's there forever. So at a, as a 15 year old, I'm super happy that I didn't have it. Not, I mean, you know, you pr- we had AIM, right? The instant messenger and all that shit. And this chat rooms where you pretended you were somebody, try to sneak into the, the sexy rooms. But like now, with what's at our disposal, holy moly. I mean, I have two daughters and I'm, it's scary. I have t- five now. I, I recently, well, not recently, but we've been together for almost three and a half years. But I brought in um, three little ones that my wife has and, and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to raise them as my own too. So we have five, uh, two boys, three girls. And to think about my childhood, my youth versus theirs, there's some definite overlapping similarities, but the space that they're navigating in is so much more open and complex and, and it's beautiful and scary at the same time. So being a dad now to see children like, follow in some footsteps that you might have stepped in is 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 freaking wild yeah i agree with that tommy um if i'm able to find it i'm going to attach the song that my band wrote about you tommy the commie to uh do you remember that song those were in my anti-flag days yes that was a great song then those were some great days tommy now today you um are more your artistic work has moved in a different direction can you talk a little bit about you know, you as the artist now, as you are not a teenager anymore? Oh, man, I still channel that inner kid sometimes. I think that is a thing that we all grasp with, right? The inner child. And mm-hmm. I love psychology. I love learning more and more about it. And uh, I spent a lot of my time as a youth discovering, you know, who I am, what I want to be. But I'm still doing that now. I'm, I'm going to be 39 this year. Um, I guess... As I mean, I've done so many things, man. I've always been very hungry to learn something new and to be creative. And, and it's like adding value. So right out of high school, I went to go study clinical massage therapy at the Soma Institute in Chicago. And then I got I didn't finish the program because I got really sick with Crohn's disease and I was missing a lot of days. And thank God that's better. But I, I knew what I was doing. And also being able to cook and give massages really helped my dating life. Um, after that, I studied art school. I mean, I've been painting and drawing since I was, I can remember I was in art classes at 10 and high school, four years of art and did a lot of shows and things like that. And it was just a creative outlet for me. I mean, even in our punk rock band days, I was designing our clothes that we wore, you know, just silly shit, but it was fun. So that's really never left it. Uh, and then after that, uh, I went to culinary school in 2005 Right after culinary school, I mean, two weeks overlap, I started at the French Pastry School in Chicago and really loved that program, fell in love with pastries and, and bread making and chocolate and sculptures it was fun. So after that ended, I moved out to Arizona and worked at the Biltmore for a while, another couple of bake shops. And I, I think that's where I fell in love with Arizona. It was such a beautiful place. Come back home, 
get get all this knowledge from my family, business, start incorporating what I learned there, doing pop-up dinners and events. And then I, um, I did our, one of our first early like, uh, dinner pop-ups at Sweet Annie's in Homewood. And that was so fun. I wanted to keep doing it. My, my best friend and right-hand man, Steven Calavo, shout out to him. He was, he's been with me since like day one. He was also probably 15 or 16 when he wanted to start helping. And now he's 26. It's been a 10 year ride with him. Um, so the cooking part has always been there in high school. We used to throw these, these like theme parties and entertaining was always my thing. I mean, we've had so many fun days. Also, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those Italian nights we used to have in high school where we'd have all our friends dress up in suits and I'd make them pasta and Italian food and drink gallons of Carlo Rossi. It was something that was always, I got so much pleasure out of like feeding my friends and having people be happy in my presence. It was just fun. Um, and then like, there's a lot of shit, you know, um, fast forward, moving out to this farm in Crete in my previous life, we were hosting events up to 110 people, baby showers, wedding showers, private dinners, events. And that was so fun. Cause I got, that's where I really felt like I was in my prime. I was growing everything, working with local farmers and, and, you know, getting goat's milk from down the street. And then you give these people a tour and they talk to them. A lot of these folks would come to the city and uh, they had this like buzzy energy, the city energy so different and wild. And, and then they come down here and I would watch that energetic buzz kind of just dissipate and they, I could see them breathe and, you know, there'd be multi-courses and after the third or fourth course, the wine's slow and they're talking, they're meeting new people. There was this gift of like communication. For me, the food was always the vehicle. Um, and we did that for about four years there, moved back home. After having my second kid, those things got to be a little more difficult, you know, cooking out of your space. That was always difficult. So we moved into more offsite things and then having to lug your shit around every day. It was all worth it, Dan, but it was hard work and it was exhausting and beautiful. That, that instant gratification that you get when someone tastes something and they're really happy. That was what it was all about. Um, Eventually, that kind of slowed down. Steven moved to Grand Rapids. My my heart was broken. I I still get sad. But we, we do some events everywhere. But um, it wasn't until I started um, towards the end of my marriage, or my previous marriage, and just in a rough place. And I, you know, I had a lot of push from my ex and from my mom's like, you, you're not in a great place. Maybe you should start painting again. So I set up a studio at my house, and I just started like painting and you know it was funny because the music i was listening to back then might have been more dark and crazy and i the i think the artwork reflected it but it had its own emotion and i would start posting some things and all of a sudden i get some commissions i i sold my first <laughs> i sold my first painting to benny benny novelli he's my, he's my he's the og got me started on this my dear cousin no he he might as well might as well be no we're just tight and we've been friends since high school but you know when someone like loves your stuff enough to put in their home. And he's bought a few paintings now. Mm-hmm. It gets that, that instant kick you get, you know, even though that I paint for myself and paint what I want to paint or draw, I don't really draw. I like to paint. Um, it feels good. And then that just kind of kept going and I kept doing more painting more. And I liked larger pieces. Finally got a, a couple shows at a local gallery at a, at a coffee shop. It was fun. Nothing crazy and big, but it was fun. And, you know, I just, uh, I love being able to do that. Now, also, in the meantime, I was able to get a health and wellness coaching certification. I 
work with people. I was always interested in hearing other people's stories and working with them because in a way, when you meet somebody, you're meeting your mirror self in a way. And the people that come to you, this like attracts like you're in, in a way you're helping them and you're helping yourself at the same time. So that coaching program was amazing. And then I, all these things I do is having a hard time putting it under an umbrella until I found the world of permaculture. And that's when kind of everything kind of clicked. I was doing all these things. I knew in my mind that they all made sense, you know, being able to cook, right. Cooking's great, but where does, where does this stuff come from? And then being able to grow it, which is something I've always loved since my youth at my grandparents' garden in Ohio. I mean, still to this day, the smell of basil, like remind, I could see my grandpa be in his garden instantaneously. Um, Permaculture helped me put everything I love to do under this umbrella. It's, it's a whole systems approach. Everything's connected. The growing, the cooking, the preservation, even your, your economy, your, your friend group, med- all these things, they all work together. We're not isolated. We don't live inside of a vacuum. So this idea that like we don't need people or that we don't affect people is complete bullshit to me because you see how interconnected everything is right down from the soil. And then that shit gets affected by all of our choices that we make in our daily life. So it felt like a, I don't want to use the word religion, but it felt like something I could identify with because I never really identified with religion. I don't identify with politics and even music. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, I don't dig my heels in the sand for anything. I love being able to learn, grow and adapt. And that helps me in, in everything I'm able to do, including our, our shop at the Zarlingos. So it's this never ending, you know, kind of hunger to learn and and be capable and you know being able to go forage wild vegetables i mean i love my ramp season and my mushroom season and that's like something that's not only fun but it's delicious and it could be a little i I used to sell to a lot of restaurants and i got to meet some incredible chefs and these things that we do in life just they spill over into the next thing it's it's about these memories like i want to i want to really live a human experience and that to me i always had a hard time identifying with a thing. I, I, careers are hard because I want to explore everything. But I know that we got a solid game, ca- game plan coming up for me and with our business. I'm always going to be connected to that. But that's why I like the sales part of it because I get to go out and meet new, re- meet new chefs, new owners, new restaurants, big things, small things, traveling. It's super fucking cool. And I don't think I'll stop doing any of this stuff because, I mean, every single day, there's something that I've done that gets incorporated into my daily life. So that artist thing, I don't, it's even weird calling yourself an artist. I think we all, I know I do sometimes struggle with that imposter syndrome thing. You know, when you get compliments and the food's good, the art's cool. I mean, hopefully it is. I'm always proud of myself for doing it. But you never feel like, I never want to like say I'm this or say I'm that because I'm just enjoying doing it. If someone likes it, I'm really happy. I like it. And I mean, I mean, I'm staring at a painting that I made in my house. It makes me happy. Uh, I got plants everywhere. You know, it's just fun. So that's, it's hard. I know I could probably talk to you for four hours, but we got, we got a short amount of time, but I, I, I'm just curious about everything and humans and, and, and life. and, And I think it's totally fun. One thing that your curiosity and your learning has led you to is an interest in psychedelics can you share a little bit about that 
I love to. I love talking about it because I want to get that taboo away from it. You know, these things that we we're so afraid to talk about in life are the like shitting or or having sex or whatever. It's like so taboo, but like we we do it. It's like a necessity or farting or burping. It's like human. And psychedelics have been with us. I mean, who who knows how long? I mean, the history keeps predating itself with the use of psychedelics. I mean, back to ancient Christianity and certain rituals and all this other stuff. I've always had a fascination with it. I had a, I never really was into smoking weed until my like late twenties. And it always, I just never loved the way it feels now. I now I enjoy it very much, but I think I did a mushroom trip with like 12 of my buddies in my early twenties. And that did something, you know, and I have to go back in time to when I was eight years old though. And I had a, I drowned. I had a, my first, and hopefully only near-death experience, but I died. I saw it. I was, it felt scary, but then it was there's peace. I, I saw everything I've ever experienced. I, I, I like let go, but it was the most peaceful thing that happened to me. And I think, you know, DMT, dimethyltryptamine, it's in our pineal gland. It's, it's, there's so much research being done on it and i've experienced it numerous times but i guess from what my understanding is that it's flooded when you're born and when you die and i'm guessing that that influx of this this one of the most powerful psychedelics i don't know i feel like it changed my mind it opened me up i think maybe that's why i was ever so curious so fast forwarding that i think i was open to this these medicines these psychedelics even though at 21 or 20 whatever i had it it was more used in a recreational manner, but there's something magical that came out about it. And I was, I think ever changed and ever curious. And there was a lot of reverence to it. So over the years, I, I, uh, I just kept, I guess, diving into it. You know, I was very, very curious. I started experimenting with other things, maybe smoking more weed. I think I started smoking more weed after I had my kids again tonight, man. It's a long day. Um, but used right could be a good tool. Um, when I moved out to Arizona, I have this book. I know you asked about books, but I'll talk about it now and we could talk about it later, but it was the cosmic serpent by Jeremy Narby and uh, it's called DNA and the origins of knowledge. And it just, it got into this, the realm of psychedelics and the understanding of all these, uh, other cultures that were using it and simultaneously having similar visions and, and it, it seemed like it was making people well it was part of their daily life you know we're so used to drinking and smoking and, and antidepressants and all this other stuff and you know everything has its place but i think this true like there's some real powerful work when you take these things with reverence with intent with the right mindset with the right setting with the right people it's incredibly healing and it just never uh it never stopped. And, you know, there was a lot of um, experimentation with like microdosing um, probably six, seven years ago with LSD, with MDMA. I still like to do a few large trips every year. Um, and then I was um, I, I was really interested in ayahuasca and um, well, I've always been interested in ayahuasca. And I got my chance to experience DMT for the first time. And that was you know, everyone's very afraid of these things, afraid of of the unknown. And I think that's what happens. You're like thrust into 
this unknown space. But when you're when you're there and you can kind of let go and let it take you, it's it sounds so cliche, but you're you're gifted this beautiful experience of like love and and compassion and this and the lifting of the veil and seeing things that might you might be hiding your from hiding from yourself you know these places where we have trauma where we have our own insecurities with deep resentment fears these things are illuminated under these these medicines and you can get there with other ways too but i think this is like a rocket shop rocket ship into some pretty serious self-discovery and it wasn't until i was able to uh it was once again towards there's a lot of things happening towards the end of my relationship of my previous marriage and wonderful person we had beautiful kids just was one of those things that didn't work out but i really would try everything i would go into my own little ceremonies hoping to be a better father wishing how do i become a better dad how to become a better husband it was always like gotta you have to let her go you know she's beautiful and wonderful this being of life but like we're destroying each other so these little things like i kind of knew i got these these nudges i ended up through the grapevine you, you talk you know a lot of these things are under the radar or they're clandestine you know they're still illegal you know i think the work is being done with a lot of research hospitals and what maps is doing for mdma but i had to seek it and I had to feel comfortable with it. So I, my first ayahuasca trip was I drove nine and a half hours to uh, Minnesota with one of the guides. And it, it was just that that ceremony started when I picked him up in the car. You know, the conversation, the, the meeting of two new people together that are literally stuck in a place experiencing essentially 20 hours of driving together. It was magical. And then when you get there, I mean, I won't go too much into the experience but it was it was life-changing it was it, it it was so illuminating and so beautiful and so scary and and this we hold on to a lot of things a lot of it was a two-day experience you take the medicine and it takes a little while to kick in for those who are very uh, who have some experience with mushrooms it's very similar i think there's in the similar tryptamine family onset uh duration peak come down very similar but it's it's intense it's beautiful it's wild and you're also you're felt with this beautiful presence of like love, even when it's scary. And obviously I'm an open book. If anybody wants to chat with me about it, I'm happy to hear about it. But these, these experiences changed my life. They, they, they helped me to become a better father. Even when I fail, sometimes I know that there's work to be done or a better husband. I, I learned so much from these things and that's just this ongoing. It's, it's ongoing. And now we have, John Hopkins, John Hopkins and doing work with mushrooms, psilocybin, and, and we have um, and, uh, MAPS doing work with MDMA. We're talking 20 years plus treatment-resistant PTSD is being lifted from people after a few um, clinical sessions. These are, I think they do eight-hour sessions, two therapists with an administra uh, administration of the medicine, and it, uh, it calms down that fear response, helps open you up. It, you're able to process these 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 traumas, these feelings without having those, those fear attached. And it's and working with uh, a psychologist, working with a therapist in conjunction to this medicine is I, I truly believe this is where we're going with mental health and with your own personal health. It's I can't be a bigger advocate for it. Not but I'm not saying it's a panacea like psychedelics can fuck people up or they might not be in a safe place and 
it's all about responsible use. I'm a, I'm a big fan of responsible use of these things. And then I, I cannot, for me personally, it's been a huge gift and it helped with my relationship with my wife now and my relationship with my kids and my health and wellness. So yeah, ayahuasca is beautiful. Um, DMT is the active component of ayahuasca. When you mix um, DMT, dimethyltryptamine with omanoamine oxidase inhibitor, slows your body's processing it. When you take DMT by itself, it's like a rocket ship through the universe really fast. But when you slow it down with that MAOI, it becomes a spiritual journey. You know, you might be, there's presence of, of other life entities, people in the room can add to your story. When you're, when you're tethered, this energetic force with all these people, you know, surrendering to something and, and being in community, the whole part of this experience starts the second you walk in and without like the medicine is the ceremony, but also the people in your room, you know, the space, the smell of it, the, the temperature of the room, how the floor feels, the guy farting next to you and causing a, a little roar of laughter and somebody purging their ass off, like vomiting into a bucket. It's like scary, but you keep going through it. Right. They say mother ayahuasca will take you by your hand or, or pull you by your ear, but either way, you're going to be going for a, a little walk with her. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, I, I probably go on and on about it, but uh, I think it's helped with a lot of people and the people that I've shared experiences with become almost instantaneous lifelong friends. There's something beautiful about being with another human in this state, but I could have that over a cup of coffee with a stranger I met or that new client I just met with uh, two days ago uh, or being able to revisit you and my relationship. It, it just opens you up. You know, we're so used to being private and closed minded and then COVID fucked everything up too. you know, everyone is afraid of everybody or doesn't want to go out or blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm hungry for people. I love connections and I love this discovery. And this is just another way that I could open up myself and be a, a better, you know, man, be a better Tommy Zarlingo. And it's not easy, but you got to keep doing it. I love it. Tommy, the last question we always ask the guests here on the podcast are what are two books that you'd recommend to the audience that have been important to you as a person and why? Well, you already heard the first one, The Cosmic Serpent by Jeremy Narby. It's, uh, it's just fascinating. I mean, it kind of opened up, it turned my, uh, the tuners onto these things. And, you know, being more curious about thing as opposed to being afraid and just it's it's a history, it's storytelling, it's it's very fascinating. And um, that I think, like I said, that that took whatever I was and just made me more receptive. I was able to, you know, bring in certain experiences. And I think that helped open me up. And the other one is uh, called The Way of the Superior Man, uh, Man by David Hadida. And um, this is a new book. I'm actually almost done with it. Um, so dealing with I, be, I guess I have a lot of, you know, we have these masculine and feminine energies, mm -hmm. divine feminine, divine masculine. We're, it's innate in all of us where some, you know, men, you know, they want to be masculine, but they're afraid of the feminine. Women, you know, are assumed to be feminine, but they have a masculine side to them as well in many different ways. Um, so in my, my previous relationship was, was, was very different than my new relationship. Um, learning how to navigate these spaces and knowing how I need to understand myself and my wife and, and this experience that I'm having now um, 
it's it's and I, I I don't even know how to explain it, but it's uh the the subtitle is a spiritual guide to mastering the challenges of women, work, and sexual desire, which I think as a man that is a a big thing for us. We I don't know we struggle being ourselves, or even if I I'm feeling like I'm being myself, we. The other, per- the other person's energy and how they respond or their past traumas or their past lives or their past relationships all kind of go in and you get this like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing or I think I know what I'm doing, but it's not working and blah, blah, blah. But there's been a lot of um, a lot of benefit from this book is to understand myself a little bit better, understand my wife a little bit better, people in general, and maybe learning that some of the things I'm doing may or may not be the best thing for this particular relationship or for any of the relationships I have in my life. It's, it's a, it's a book that helps me kind of um, illuminate some of my own insecurities, some of my own weaknesses, and then gives me the ability to work on it. And it's been really helpful to tell you that. Tommy, if somebody wanted to learn more about the topics you're interested in or the business, where could they find you on the internet? Um, I'm, Facebook and Insta. I would just go Instagram. Like I said, I'm not, I don't brand anything. It's just me, my life and some of the food I'm doing, but you could always reach out. Um, I think if people are really curious about understanding or wanting to experience psychedelics too. I mean, Michael Pollan did a great job of introducing these, these psychedelics to like the lay person. Um, I've read a lot of his books, um, you know, omnivores dilemma, um, fucking whatever the other food book i read so many of them and then you got now this uh uh how to open your mind or something like that it's good it's beautiful he does it in a way that's not pushy or coming from a psychonaut or an avid user he comes from a journalist approach to it a curious adult who didn't get into these medicines until his 50s um obviously there's that net there's it's on netflix right now it's, it's worth a shot you know these, each of these plant medicines harness its own special energy and its own special use. So that's a good way of psychedelic. Obviously, if you're if you're hanging out with me, we can always talk about it. But it's basically just Facebook, Instagram. Um, you know, we used to have this podcast a long time ago. Um, and being able to talk with you and I've been wanting to do it. So I, there'll be that coming up pretty soon. I miss it. I like to talk and interesting people. So look out for that. It's just... It's just wild. Freaking see me and talk to me. I like face-to-face shit and real conversations. So I'm around. You know where I'm at. And uh, I'm just really happy to be able to talk with you again, George. Tommy, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And when you get that new podcast started again, I'll come on to your show. Hell yeah, you will. All right. Looking forward to it, buddy. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Help George stay on the Chicago Heights City Council. Go and donate today at tinyurl.com slash aldermangeorge2023. Begin to transform your life and work towards inner peace with expert psychotherapy. At True Heights Treatment, our experienced therapists provide personalized, compassionate care to help you overcome life's challenges and reach your goals. Whether you're struggling with depression, anxiety, relationship issues, or other mental health concerns, our team is here to support you. With a warm and welcoming in-person and virtual office atmosphere and a commitment to person-centered and evidence-based treatments, we are dedicated to helping you address your life's challenges. 
Contact us now to schedule your first session at 708-248-7039 or online at trueheightstx.com. Book your appointment today and start your journey towards a happier, healthier life. Need more George? Like his pages on Facebook. Friends of George Brassy PAC, Fifth Ward Business Alliance, Chicago Heights Bicycle and Pedestrian Resource Center, and the George Brassy Podcast.